This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. Right now, there are roughly 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day in the United States, and that will continue until about 2030, when seniors are expected to make up more than 20% of the U.S. population. According to data from the National Institutes of Health, about 14% of Americans age 71 and older currently have some type of dementia. While the medical community continues to look for ways to help reduce the risk of dementia. Researchers at the University of South Florida have been studying whether interacting with certain kinds of specially designed cognitive training exercises, essentially computer games, can reduce the risk of dementia, and so far the research is promising. A study called ACTIVE concluded that certain computerized brain training may reduce risk of dementia by 29 to 48 percent across 10 years. Its participants were older adults who showed no signs of cognitive impairment. Today we're going to learn about another USF study called Active Mind that is similar but is looking for participants who do have some degree of mild cognitive impairment. They're looking to recruit participants now. I spoke with one of the study's lead researchers last week to learn more. Let's hear that conversation now. Dr. Jennifer O'Brien is an associate professor of psychology at University of South Florida. Dr. O'Brien, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So for starters, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and your academic background and areas of focus when it comes to your research? Sure, yes. I've been in academia for over 15 years now. Um, I have a background in psychology, um, did my undergraduate at the University of South Florida, uh, and then went to Wales to do my PhD in psychology uh, at the uh, what was the University of Wales and now called Bangor University. Um, so my background is really in visual cognition uh, and how our um, attention, attentional systems change uh, based on personal experience um, and in the studies that I conduct now, I'm really interested in how our cognition changes with age, um, in particular, how that can uh, happen or how that typically happens in healthy cognitive aging and how that can vary depending on disease uh, such as dementia. Hmm. Um, so for about 15 years, you've been look, working on this sort of thing. Uh, this is sort of a, a, a sidebar question, but I'm just curious. You know, a lot of that has to do with using technologies for scanning and things like that. Would you say that the technology has improved drastically since you got started, or are you still working with the same sorts of tools as 15 years ago? Oh, it definitely has advanced greatly, um, which has been really beneficial for the science um, in terms of brain imaging. Um, so I have some background in electroencephalography or EEG, um, and that technology has advanced quite a lot. Um, in part, it's become a lot cheaper to use, uh, which is great. And then um, as it relates to kind of dementia sciences, you know, our ability to look at biomarkers, um, the technology there has advanced greatly as well. So where it used to be, you would have to have, you know, very invasive procedures, which are still actively used, like PET scans and spinal taps and things. Uh, we can also look at blood-based biomarkers, which is a lot less invasive, of course, and then also a lot cheaper to do as well. So uh, the advancing technology is, has been very beneficial over the years. Hmm. So how and when did you first become involved with this active mind research effort? Right. So uh, active mind is kind of a, a culmination of many years of research 
So it's based on a study uh, called ACTIVE, um, or at least it's um, kind of evolved from a study called ACTIVE, where uh, participants did cognitive training. Um, about 3,000 participants uh, did a version of cognitive training um, and showed lots of benefits in everyday activities, things like mental quickness and attention, that's translated to things like improved driving safety, mental health and well-being, um, and also evidence that it might protect against dementia. So um, we have been doing research on this, you know, for many years, and actually we're funded first for a study called PACT, where uh, which is stands for Preventing Alzheimer's uh, with Cognitive Training, where we're looking at the potential for cognitive training to help prevent or at least delay cognitive decline in older adults who have healthy cognition. And so Active Mind is uh, a new study where we're, we're looking at similar questions, but with those older adults who already have some maybe mem difficulties with memory, for instance, or, or other you know mild cognitive impairments. So I started this research collaborating with researchers who were involved in the original studies um, and you know we've just been been working towards these goals for many years now can you explain for our listeners sort of in radio terms what's meant by cognitive training definitely yes thanks for that follow-up question um so brain games really um these are computer-based activities that really target kind of um cognitive abilities that we know tend to decline with age. In healthy cognitive aging, um, a lot of these what we call executive functionings or uh, ability to think quickly, to focus on something of interest like a target and ignore things that are distracting your attention away. This, this is the type of training that we're looking at. So that's different from, you know, there are all sorts of games out there, um, but this particular type of cognitive training that we've been studying has been shown to have these important benefits on cognition that translate to daily life. So these are computer-based exercises that have been specifically created with this in mind. These aren't just games that people play that you thought would be good. These are tooled or tuned for this specific task. Yeah, exactly. So, so some of them um, have many years worth of science behind them, and and that's one of the main questions uh, of the Active Mind study is how are these different types of training programs influencing or benefiting our cognition? Um, can we just step back for a second and ask what the scope of what's meant, you know, by the terms dementia or cognitive impairment? Is that a an answerable question? Um, definitely. So um, we expect cognitive decline to happen in a healthy aging brain. Um, you know, neurons have a lifespan and they, you know, th there are different areas of the brain that decline at different rates, but we do see the most kind of decline with age that happens, like I was saying, in, in this executive functioning kind of umbrella of abilities. So dementia, there are different types of dementia, um, but dementia is an accelerated decline that initially 
is going to impact again, you know, usually these executive functioning uh, abilities, but then ultimately are, you know, very widespread across the brain, such that you start to see decline in, in motor ability, for instance. Um, towards the end of the disease, individuals really typically cannot function independently. They cannot do daily uh, activities such as self-care, um, driving, shopping, and then even in the farthest progression, you know, bathing and, and feeding themselves and things. I read that the active mind study thus far, um, or it, it's building on research that uh, showed that certain computerized brain training may reduce risk of dementia by 29 to 48 percent across 10 years. And my question, I mean, A, is that accurate? Yes, that is. So that's referring um, to that active study, which is uh, quite a few years old now, but was a, a 10 year study looking at cognitive training and, and those who had done the most cognitive training of this of um, the speed of processing training had yeah almost a 50% less likelihood of having a dementia diagnosis 10 years later. So is there a control group there of people who, who, who don't get it? Or how do you compare the results of yes. people who, yeah, explain the control group aspect of this kind of research. Participants in the active study were randomly assigned to um, either a speed of processing training group uh, where they targeted just how quickly you could process information, um, a, a memory training group where they learned strategies to enhance their memory, and a reasoning group uh, which learned, you know, strategies for better thinking. Um, and then there was a control group. And so the percentage of dementia risk were compared to the control as a baseline. So the control not having done the training, how much of a benefit did the training groups receive um, above and beyond that baseline level of having a dementia diagnosis. Understood. Um, so for this active mind study that you just got the grant to extend it, um, you're looking for volunteers to participate who have um, some form of dementia already, or can you characterize more accurately what you're looking for in terms of participants? Yes. So for um, the active mind study, uh, we're not looking at those who have dementia diagnosis. So we're looking to see if the training exercises can improve everyday abilities and reduce the risk of dementia. So we wanted to have participants who don't already have dementia because um, we're looking at that risk of dementia as an outcome. Um, but we uh, are including participants who do have some decline, so like a um, mild cognitive impairment diagnosis, for instance. Understood. So, so mild cognitive impairment would be the best way to characterize it. How would one know if they fall into that, that group? Right. So, so you don't have to know that in advance. We do that assessment as part of the study. So you would know that by having that diagnosis from primary care physician, neurologist, for instance. Uh, in our study, we do a cognitive assessment to begin with, uh, and then we do a clinical evaluation as well. 
I did an interview a little less than a year ago with somebody from a senior care facility, and in that research, I looked up and it said um, about 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65 every day these days, uh, and that's going to continue until about 2030 when seniors are expected to make up more than 20% of the U.S. population. So this kind of research is trying to get ahead of what will likely be a lot more people who have cognitive impairment. Would that be a fair way to put it? That's exactly correct. Yes. Right now, the stat is one in nine adults 65 and older have some form of dementia. And every 65 seconds, someone in the U.S. develops dementia. And the stat is that by 2050, that's going to go down to every 33 seconds. So it, it will you know, basically double the projection of risk. And then worldwide, that's that's more than double. I think it's going to go from somewhere around 50 million people to 150 um, by 2050. Um, explain how a person would get involved and what would be asked of them if they become a participant. Sure. So what we try to do to begin with is um, a screening over the telephone so that we can go through the eligibility criteria answer questions and, and make sure somebody has a likelihood of being eligible and is interested and willing to participate. That takes about 40 minutes or so to complete over the phone. And then um, if potentially eligible based on that, we invite uh, people to come in for an in-person visit. And that can take place at our lab at USF St. Petersburg or also uh, at our lab in Tampa. And Based on that visit, we'll do the cognitive assessment, like I said, and a few other assessments. And if eligible, then uh, we sign up the participant. Then um, they'll complete a few more uh, visits in person, and that will take place um, at the beginning uh, in a short period of time, and then study visits across at least two years and will also involve at least 40 hours of doing the training. So 40 hours over two years, that doesn't seem like an awful lot. I was expecting it to be more. It, yeah, it isn't an awful lot. In fact, the majority of the research findings uh, are based on 10 to 20 hours of training. Uh, and we see benefits that are long lasting. You know, in, in the active study, they looked across 10 years and found benefits that lasted that long. So it appears to not take a crazy amount of time. Boosters do help, um, at least in the, the study evidence that we've had to date. So, um, you know, doing a, a set amount of time, maybe 20 hours, and then booster sessions, you know, each following year appear to be beneficial. Do the in-person site visits, I mean, is that required if somebody's listening down here in our listening area? We do broadcast right up to almost St. Pete, but if somebody's living down here, you know, they would have to get up to St. Pete or Tampa in order to participate? For the active mind study, yes. Um, unfortunately, the, just some of the assessments that we do on uh, need to take place in person. Uh, for the PACT study that we're still enrolling until uh, April of 2024, uh, we do have a site in Sarasota um, that we are enrolling as well. So if Sarasota is closer, PACT might be an option for participating. How many people are you looking to get, uh, you know, if you want to get the optimal number of participants for this active mind study, and then how many more people are you still looking to get for the PACT study? 
Yes. So uh, for Active Mind, uh, we are recruiting around 200 participants. And in PACT, we still need about 250 participants. And we're super grateful. We already have, uh, across both studies, over 3,400 uh, volunteers participating from Tampa Bay, Sarasota, and kind of Lakeland areas. So and you are very fortunate. And you are particularly hoping to recruit people from the African-American and Hispanic-American communities because they are underrepresented in research. Is that correct? That's correct. They are underrepresented in research, which uh, is a critical need to be inclusive in the research. Um, and it's so critical in particular in dementia prevention studies uh, because Black and Af African-American older adults are two to three times more likely to get Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. So they're at a greatly increased risk uh, compared to their white counterparts, which just makes it all the more important to have representation in, in these types of prevention studies. I know you can't give out you know, medical advice over the radio, but um, I, I presume there's all sorts of things out there in the market for people to do brain engagement games and things like that. I mean, is that something that you would recommend people do who aren't participating in this study, or does it really boil down to what game or what activity it is and whether it is truly beneficial or just something somebody's put out into the world? Yes, I mean, not all brain games are equal, for sure. Um, I would encourage uh, non-participants, you know, anybody really over 50, uh, certainly by 55, to check out um, cognitive training, in particular, Brain HQ is the commercialized version of um, what some of the past studies have been based on, that type of um, speed of processing training has a lot of uh, evidence behind it. So doing brain training, also cardiovascular health. Um, so the, the only clinical trial evidence that we have for decreasing risk of dementia are the, um, the active studies that look at the cognitive training and then also clinical trials on healthy blood pressure and cardiovascular exercise. So. If you guys get far enough down the road with this research where it's shown with real good clarity that these kinds of exercises can stave off, you know, cognitive impairment, can you imagine a future where this sort of thing is part of somebody's visit to their, you know, doctor where, you know, you get to be 50 or 55 or 60 and they say this is part of your regimen? Definitely. I mean, that's the goal. You know, that, of course, would also bring the need for, for access, you know, technology access and things. But yeah, to, ha to have this be part of a prescription, to have this be part of a national, international recommendation on healthy cognitive aging is, is yeah, ultimate goal. I don't know if this is going to have any uh, relevancy at all, but do you see the increasing advancement of generative AI and tools being created with it playing a role in this kind of work at all going forward? I would think so. I mean, I'm not personally all that familiar with the current advances in that technology, but to be able to uh, individualize these types of experiences and training, um, I think will be essential. So one of the benefits of the training or one of the key aspects is that it's adaptive so that each individual is experiencing the training based on their own capability. So if they 
are not doing so well, it gets easier. If they're doing well, it gets harder. So it continually is at a, a challenging level. So I think, um, you know, AI will help modify that even more to make that more individualized, as well as, as likely um, helping with motivation and helping with kind of engagement. So, you know, it's exercise and some people love exercise. Some people need more motivation to complete exercise. So I think to be able to um, individualize the experience to make it you know, optimally engaging um, will be beneficial. I think that's all the questions that I have. Is there any aspect of this that you think I've overlooked or any final thoughts you'd want to leave us with? No, I mean, I, I think that was, you covered all the key points. Thank you for all of the great questions. Um, I think the parting comment I would make is that participation in clinical research like this is so critical, is, is the only way that we really advance the science. Um, the first person who is cured from dementia is going to be a clinical trial participant, you know? So in the, this type of study is non-pharmaceutical um, and we're hoping to be able to show evidence supporting a non-pharmaceutical way to easily prevent or at least delay decline. So participation is, is really critical. All right. Well, thanks to my guest, Dr. Jennifer O'Brien is an associate professor of psychology at University of South Florida. Dr. O'Brien, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me. You can find links to more information about the Active Mind study and how to inquire about participating on our website, wgcu.org GCL. We didn't mention it during the conversation, but enrolled study participants do receive a free iPad to complete their training exercises on. On our website, you can also find links to past conversations we've had on this show about the Preventing Alzheimer's with Cognitive Training, or PACT, study that Dr. O'Brien talked about. In that study, they're still looking for participants who are aged 65 or older and have no signs of cognitive impairment. We're going to end today's show with the 11th installment of the audio essay series, Reflections of a Colored Girl from Dr. Martha Biretta that we've been airing weekly here on WGCU. Dr. Biretta was born in Southwest Florida in 1945, but spent the first 10 years of her life in a small town in Western Virginia before her family moved back to Punta Gorda where they have deep roots. In my life, I have found myself as a colored, a Negro, a black, an African-American, and a person of color. This is my reflection as a colored girl. The most empowering lessons I have learned about myself, my life, and my future were learned during the Jim Crow era when I was labeled a colored. There were four types of lessons, denial, affirmation, protection, and character building. The family, community, and school each reinforce the values we children should learn, as well as the expectations held for us. Critical in helping us colored children know our true identity were the denials. First, I am not tragically colored. Second, I am not who the larger white society believes or says I am. Third, I am not inferior to any race or group culturally, intellectually, or morally. Fourth, I am not the other they claim I am, undeserving of respect, dignity, and equality. Now, the affirmations confirmed our true identity. First, 
I know who I am. Secondly, I am a precious gift to my family and community. Thirdly, I am a member of a dynamic culture that provides for my well-being and my joy. Fourth, I am born with unique gifts and talents that I will use to better my community and fulfill my life purpose. It was also critically important that I learned protective lessons, especially in the Jim Crow era. There were Jim Crow laws for segregation that we were to obey, and there were Jim Crow customs, etiquette, expected of us coloreds that served to enhance the identity and esteem of whites. But it was the character that colored children were expected to develop to the highest extent. Character building began in the family in what we called home training. Home training was the cultural vehicle by which values were transmitted to each new generation. We learned the social rules and norms that would guide our conduct as members of the community from childhood through adulthood. A child's behavior was a demonstration of the quality of home training a colored child received. These lessons were there to build our character, to teach us respect and proper manners. The core rules of home training were respect yourself, respect your family, respect the elderly. Who I am today, my moral character, my ability to interact and form relationships with persons of cultures other than my own, is the result of the home training or socialization I received as a colored girl. Dr. Martha Biretta is an author and lecturer and director of the Blanchard House Museum of African American History and Culture in Punta Gorda. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We are NPR for Southwest Florida.